The title of my talk is A A Case for God. That is a case for God's existence and um, a case for our relationship with God. I, I guess like most of us, I have found myself in a situation doing my best to witness and explain my faith to a, a, a colleague or a relative who's curious and the very natural statement comes, if God is there, why doesn't he say something? Um, and it is a brilliant question for someone to ask because if you haven't heard God speaking, then um, it doesn't take very long for us to take the likes of Psalm 19 and say, here he is speaking, listen and respond. Um, David in Psalm 19, I think, is putting forward a case for God. And he has two exhibits. Exhibit one is the cosmos. Um, that which is out there that we can observe, particularly at night time. Um, and it's outside of our reach. That's exhibit one. Outside of our physical reach, it's... It's what goes beyond our world. And then exhibit two is the word of God. Totally within our reach. I'm holding it. And it's amazing how accessible the word of God is. And David in his psalm puts the two on equal terms. If we're wanting to consider evidence that God is there and he's real and he's alive and powerful, then we see it in the universe and we see it in his word, which is so accessible to us. Um, as we explore the case for God in these two exhibits, the cosmos and the word of God, the Bible, we have to respond to it. And it seems to me that in, if we just take, for example, uh, this applies to both exhibits, but probably more obviously to the creation, the universe around us, we observe two responses. There's um, what I'm going to call the Attenborough response. <laughs> and I say that kind of respectfully for the man because he's a genius. Um, but his response is observation, explanation, speculation. <laughs> Maybe those two are the other way around. And in there's a bit of imagination. Um, and by the way, for that read faith. He's a self-professed um, atheist, um, but it takes faith, it takes imagination to follow his logic. And then imitation, I'll say them again. Observation, which is what we all do. Explanation, speculation, imagination, imitation, or an alternative, which is through Christian faith. Go a step further than that. God given Christian faith that is um, illuminated by God the Holy Spirit and it's observation, inspiration, dedication and then examination and that's uh, perhaps introspective so I'm caused to examine myself in the context of what I'm inspired by around me and then adoration I'll give you them again observation 
inspiration, dedication, examination, adoration. Let's go to exhibit one, which is the cosmos. We're in uh, Psalm 19 and verse one. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. And we are caused to pause and indulge ourselves in the first on the list, which is observation. It's what we see around us. And of course, I have the image of David um, as a youth, as a, a middle-aged man, as an old man. And he's observing the skies and observing what he's experienced through his life. And it's exhibit one. It's a demonstration uh, of the reality of God. Focusing on the, the night skies, it seems that he's prompted to consider specifically the sun. And he, observing, he observes it appearing at one end of the sky and goes across to the other end of the sky and then disappears. And in his poetry, and I'm going to say in his ignorance, I know flat earth and all of that, it disappears into what he describes as a tent. And then it's perpetual, it comes out like clockwork the next day. And this is what he says about it. Um, the heavens declare... This is, there's four verbs here which I find really intriguing. The heavens declare the glory of God. That's a, a declaration. What's a declaration? Declaration is a statement of fact. It's just something that is declared. And he's saying the heavens, what we observe, um, is in itself, without any accompanying words, a statement of fact, a declaration. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim, proclamation, the work of his hands. What's, what's proclamation? I think that um, that's a, has a hint of celebration. It's not just a matter of stating fact. It's proclaiming that fact in a way that you want others to be aware of it. You make a proclamation. And it's, um, it's a celebration. Um, we're told by the Apostle Paul about the remembrance that um, by it we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it is um, a celebration uh, amongst ourselves and a celebration to those who are observing that it's the Lord's death. That's, of course, the remembrance of our Sunday morning celebration of 
taking the, the bread and the wine and remembering that it speaks of the Lord Jesus and his death and his resurrection. So um, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim, celebrate the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. There's the, the next verb to speak. Uh, to make a speech, I think it is. Um, and that's a sermon. Um, think of that. We look out into the night sky and what we experience is a sermon. And a sermon is, um, it's not just a statement of fact or a celebration. It's a presentation of an argument. It's someone, or in this case, God's creation, uh, making a speech. Um, day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There's our final of four display. That means to exhibit. Um, I find myself these days often going to exhibitions, part of my job, and uh, they can be very dull unless um, there is someone on a stand with a live exhibit they're demonstrating some product or other and all of a sudden there's a crowd and um, I think that's the thought that uh, is here in the psalm alongside declaration a statement of fact proclamation celebration of fact speech a sermon um, presenting a case it's a live demonstration um, it's it's God exhibiting something we'll come to that in a second and um, you just have David in his poetry uh, presenting this first exhibit in these ways. But, but what does it declare, proclaim, preach and display? And I think there are three things mentioned. The first is the glory of God. The heavens declare, make a statement of fact to the glory of God. It's a really interesting word that I think has depths beyond which I can plumb but I kind of paraphrased what I read into weighty majesty the glory of God in the context as seen in his creation specifically in the cosmos that we can see from our earth at night time it demonstrates his weighty majesty um, it's a statement of divinity um, the skies proclaim the work of his hands so they declare the glory of God his, his weighty majesty um, they proclaim the work of his hands could it be a reference to his omnipotence his power and we see it in design in the creation of what was designed and we see it in the sustenance of what was designed so these, uh, this um, first exhibit is uh, demonstrating and showing the glory of God, the omnipotence, the infinite power of God. And then night after night they display knowledge. There we have the omniscience, the infinite knowledge of God. We started by saying that someone who hasn't really understood the reality of God 
will say, why doesn't he say something? And I'm just kind of left a little bit speechless at this point in the psalm, because to me, and hopefully to, to us all, it, it's an easy, it's a, it's a slam dunk, it's, it's easy, it's in your face that the world around us so profoundly speaks of these things. And while we perhaps instinctively want an explanation, that's the, the David Attenborough route, to try and fathom how this could have happened, I'm left in awe and just find myself inspired. So I've moved from observation and find myself inspired. There's a verse in Romans chapter 1 which um, I'm sure our minds perhaps have already gone to. It says, uh, for since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We have in the psalm that um, there is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. There is, that their voice goes out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And the reality is we're left without excuse. <laughs> uh, it's not like, um, well, I didn't understand or it wasn't within my reach. Um, the, the universe, even to those who can't see, the, it's a tangible thing that they can experience. I know that from what I've been told by people who can't see. Um, and that verse rings, doesn't it? That men who refuse to accept that what they're observing is uh, a statement as to the existence of a divine creator, those who refuse to accept that, they're without excuse. It's a scary position to be in. Um, and I am just so grateful for um, my experience, which as I said at the beginning, I think is, it's there by faith which God has given me, and that by the person of the Holy Spirit, also God, has revealed to me. And if that's the way we feel, that somehow, you know, our minds, the door of our minds is getting wrapped at the moment, wake up to this, this is an amazing thing to, to embrace, then that surely is the work of God in our hearts and we need to respond to it because uh, there is no excuse to think uh, anything else of it. I often say that uh, um, the Lord Jesus was a student of the Psalms just like we are um, and that's in his human development. The great creator became one of his creatures and observed his creation from the perspective of, of a creature. An amazing thought. Um, John 1 verse 3, he, that's the Lord Jesus, um, oh, oh, sorry, all things were made by him, that's the Lord Jesus. If we want other verses, Colossians 1 and 16, for by him, that's the Lord Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, 
visible and invisible. Hebrews 1 verse 2, he has spoken to us, that's God, has spoken to us through his Son, through whom he made the universe. Three uh, independent scriptures that teach the doctrine that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, um, is the means through, is the person through whom um, all things came into existence. And here he is, now in human form, observing the cosmos as David did. And as he matured in his um, awareness of things and, and his human development, what an amazing perspective he would have as a, as a, a man in all of his humanity experiencing the wonder of creation from the perspective of a creature. That's just a wonderful thing to meditate on. Um, would have been for him too, I'm sure. Let's go to uh, exhibit two. Um, kind of left convinced already, I think. Um, but let's go to exhibit two, which is the Word of God. That's the Bible. Um, interestingly, David, who wrote the psalm, would have had a way more limited um, experience of the Holy Scriptures than we have. Um, so it's almost like, in my mind, imagine what David would have said had he had the full blown, the full deal, uh, all of Scriptures, which is what we have. But let's go to verse 7. So this is still um, an exhibit that is presented for the case for God. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from a comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Uh, there's a parallel here, I think, in, in the psalm. All those amazing things we've considered about the cosmos and God's creation um, where they're now looking at a parallel exhibit and it's just as compelling and requires just the same response. Observation, that means reading it. Uh, inspiration, uh, taking it in uh, and responding to it. Dedication, examination, adoration. We will come to those things. It's interesting that um, although this is poetry and maybe part of our approach to poetry is, well, it's just beautiful repetition. It's saying exactly the same thing, but using different words in the interests of forming a poem. 
And of course there is an element of that, but um, I think it goes deeper than that. And what David is doing is describing God's word and in, in, in our time and circumstances, that's the physical Bible that we can see, uh, that the words, um, he's creating um, almost a tapestry of the richness of God's word. So I think these things are, um, the words that are used are not just poetry, they're used to help us understand the richness of the word of God and how that it is an exhibit that can be used to support the notion that God exists and also what he's like. And in, the, in these six statements about the Bible, um, there is a label and then there is the nature of what that means and then there's the effect. And of course, uh, there's six of them, so there's probably a, a sermon on each of those independently and we won't do justice to it. So I just wanted to point out what they are. So he says that the Bible is the law. That's the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the first in David's world, the first five books of the Bible. And it's perfect. That means it's complete, flawless. And it revives the soul. It's a living thing that um, can, uh, well, think of the expression, it revives the soul. I'm sure we've found ourselves in a situation where we need soul revival, we're down. And it says elsewhere in the Bible that it's living. And we, we read it and it brings life back to our soul. The second one is statutes, that's testimony or witness. And the nature is trustworthy. That means it's sure, permanent, durable, and it makes wise the simple. So grateful for that because I'm simple. And um, we get understanding from God's word. Third one, precepts. It's a mandate or a command and it's right. That means it's straight and upright and clear. And it brings joy to the heart, literally makes us merry, cheers our hearts. And that's because there's many beautiful things in God's word. Fourth, describing word is command. And it's a, a collection of instructions that hang together. Um, and those instructions independently, arguably not much use, but they hang together and become a real pattern for life. And they're described as radiant. That means clean. Just looking at what the word itself means, it means clean, <coughs> clear, choice. And uh, it brings light to the eyes. Um, that again beautiful expression um, someone who has sparkle or light in their eyes there's a, a clarity about where they are and what they're up to I think um, and a confidence then there's this expression that is um, the fear of um, the law and it's not necessarily about the law itself, it's about our approach to it. 
But uh, I think what we can say is that the word of God is worthy of our reverence. Really important point because um, it is often just dismissed as out of date, old fashioned and irrelevant. But um, so important is it that it is worthy of our reverence. It is the um, truthful, um, accurate word of God and it's pure. That means it's a, a single strain. It's not in any way contaminated and it endures forever. It stands and remains. You know, that's in contrast to the cosmos, which is only ever designed to be temporary. And here we've got the word of God that's so accessible and tangible, we can hold it and it will outlive the universe. Wow. Ordinances is the last point. That is verdict or um, conclusion or a sentence or or measure and it says that it's sure which means faithful or consistent and it's altogether righteous rich statements about the wonder of God's word and I, I just think as we think of God's word alongside the universe which is so amazing um, obviously so amazing were encouraged by David in his presentation of a case for God that this is as important um, an exhibit. And he says they are more precious than gold and much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. You know, it's um, clearly in David's experience, he'd cultivated an appetite for God's word and they were more precious to him and they were nourishing to him um, and it, it just speaks to my heart about the importance of my consideration of it even reading it do I do that every day and if I do do it do I do it justice every day and am I experiencing the benefits of it and the value of it um, I wanted to, uh, the time has gone, I wanted just to say one further point, um, which sheds, kind of opens a complete new door on the second half of Psalm 19, and that's a consideration of the Lord Jesus as the Word. That's how he's presented at the beginning of John's Gospel. If we go to John's epistle, his first letter, um, and it's John's observation of the Word of Life, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at with our hand, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father has appeared to us. We, pro we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now we've been thinking of our response to the universe around us and our response to what we know about God's word, the Bible. And the challenge I would um, bring us back to is we can make these observations and we're all able to do it right now in, in this hall because we know the world around us and we have God's word 
open in front of us? What is our response? Um, and by God's grace, by his enabling grace, we can have faith that will enable us to be inspired by what we read, to believe it, and to dedicate ourselves to it. I was going to go to James and look about examination of ourselves in it. Um, we don't have time for that. But let's go to the last on my list, which is adoration. And it takes us to verse 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's a consequence of what David was experiencing in his appreciation of the creation and his appreciation of the word of God as he knew it at the time. And in the previous verse, he, he says, it's, it's kind of exposing him. And it says, forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sin. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of the great transgression. You know, we have an opportunity to embrace what God has said in his word. That's to accept that he is there and he is our creator and he loves us. And to accept the Lord Jesus, his word, the one who came and communicated God's love to us by going to the cross at Calvary and becoming the paying the penalty for our sin at Calvary and by believing that uh, we no longer will be asked to or expected to give account of the, the sin that we've done but we will have a relationship with God that enables us to enter into that experience of adoring him the way David expresses the, the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart. May God help us to appreciate these things.